Remain standing for the reading of the gospel lesson, which is taken from John's gospel, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, and then in the 16th chapter, verse 4 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. But you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and regard of judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The word of the Lord. I'm continuing my series on... Uh, the Apostles' Creed, but I'm jumping ahead to the third paragraph because this is Pentecost Sunday, and I probably uh, will be the last, uh, except for next Sunday, will be the last of jumping around, but I wanted to include sermons that are relevant to the day on the Christian calendar. And uh, in the third paragraph, if you want to open the Apostles' Creed, it might be a good idea uh, along uh, with the scripture text. But the Apostles' Creed in the third paragraph is about the Holy Spirit. And it simply says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. All Christians through the ages have confessed their belief in the Holy Spirit. Obviously, though, there is a wide difference in the way we understand believing in the Holy Spirit. Just by way of helping you understand maybe some of the King James language, in the 16th century, what we call spirit uh, was then referred to as a ghost. And what we refer to as a ghost today is in their day, a spirit. So it's just backwards. So in the day of 
King James and those who translated the Bible in the 16th century into English, they spoke of the Holy Ghost, whereas we speak of the Holy Spirit, but we are obviously talking about the same thing. For some to believe in the Holy Spirit is a bit of a mystery to them. The Holy Spirit remains kind of a shadowy figure at best. They might say, what is this thing of the Holy Spirit? Or some might say, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. Maybe a lot of Presbyterians fit into this first category. For others, the Holy Spirit has been reduced to a historical role to the time when he came at the day of Pentecost. They read it in the Bible and uh, they read where those disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was formed, uh, made up of those early believers, and they are content with their knowledge of the Spirit to leave it in some ways as a historical uh, knowledge back there. For others, the Holy Spirit is a vibrant presence, and uh, you can turn on the television, and there is a section at least in the direct TV channel system where there are about five or six channels in a row of religious broadcasting, and I turn to that once in a while to see what is going on in Texas, (laughs) Florida, and California. Uh, Turn on the TV, and you see uh, people speaking sometimes in a very ecstatic speech. You watch a little while and you'll see someone, what they call, dance in the spirit. And they skip around in a kind of jig. And some wave or uh, touch the hand and people will fall down and, and they say that they are slain in the spirit. One of the most noteworthy manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our own history took place In 1801 at Cane Ridge in Kentucky, I don't know whether you've heard of Cane Ridge in Kentucky or not, but uh, a series of of meetings to take communion developed into quite a Pentecostal revival in Cane Ridge. And uh, the meetings were held over a number of weeks until the spirit died down, but it was famous. The spirit fell so much upon them that they sang and cried and shouted, and some climbed the tent poles and barked like dogs. And this was said to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would say that uh, uh, some of us uh, in our tradition don't necessarily, I think, want the full dose of the Holy Spirit. We want to take our filling of the Spirit in smaller doses. Uh, Martin Luther must have been one of that kind when he described these enthusiasts or those who bubble over in such ways, he described them as enthusiasts or schwimmer, uh, those who, who just bubble up and bubble over. He described Thomas Munzer, one of those in his day. He said when his manifestations were so, so uh, if you will, out of character in one sense and seem wild, he he said that Thomas Munster had swallowed the Holy Ghost feathers and all. Well, most Presbyterians are apt to take a dose of filling of the Holy Spirit, might say, in, 
in uh, weaker strength doses. Uh, we would rather walk in the spirit than run, maybe stand rather than jump and speak in measured known tones rather than an unknown tongue. Now, I say all that with tongue in cheek, uh, but there are lots of differences when we describe, I believe in the Holy Spirit, how that works out. We all say we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we believe that he certainly acts in different ways or at least manifests himself in different ways. Today, I want briefly to look at the work of the Holy Spirit among us. That is what we confess when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is among us today, active at work, at work in our midst. We believe that we have one who is always present. And if I have a thesis today, I, I would say it's something like this. I believe the Holy Spirit, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit it's a confession that we make to say that God is present with us and that God is working out his purposes in history and in our lives. It's that simple. That God is with us and he is working out his purposes in history and in our lives. The Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is with us. And I suppose how emotional you get about it has a lot to do with culture and personality. But how do we understand this? Let me, let me frame the question this way. There was an occasion when, when Jesus' disciples began to leave him. It must have been a hard time. They began to understand that, yes, Jesus' life was going to lead to an end that they didn't want to be a part of. And they began to leave. And it appears that even his intimate circle, his intimate disciples were ready to leave. And he says to them, will you also go away? And Peter in his confession says, no, Lord, we will not go away. For you have the words of eternal life. Now keep that in mind as you go to the Mount of Olives. And here is Jesus ready to ascend unto the Father. They didn't leave Jesus. But now it appears that he's going to leave them. Can you imagine the questions that they had in their minds? Well, what about this movement that we have? If you go away, will we have the words of eternal life with us? Will we have the assurance that God is with us? And it is here that Jesus said, if I go not away, the comforter or the counselor will not come. In Greek, it's the paraclete. That one who is an advocate on my part or my behalf. Jesus was with them. Now will they be rift of the presence of God or will they have the presence of God? And Jesus says, when I go away, I will send another. And he will lead you into all truth. All truth. So if we frame the question that way, then we can understand the work and role of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I would have you to understand is a very simple proposition. And it is this. 
that in the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, as he left, he now sends his spirit and the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus with us. The first thing I would say that you should notice about all of these things is this. Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and it was the presence, if you will, with Jesus and the abiding church. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit, when he says he will testify of him, is testifying of Jesus, that he is here in our midst, in our presence. It is the presence of the Spirit that ensures that Jesus is in our midst and he is at work in this world where we are. The paraclete is the presence of Jesus. Jesus was here in his incarnation in particular as we focus upon the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit comes, you might say this whole life of Jesus incarnate is now being built upon and worked out. There's an interesting thing if you look in the Apostles' Creed that I want to point out to you. If you look at the third paragraph, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, if he is indeed the presence of Jesus and Jesus is in our midst, he continues the work of Jesus Christ. And as the continuation of the work of Jesus Christ, what does he do? He falls upon those disciples and he creates the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And the very first next line in the creed in the third paragraph is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Every statement in the third paragraph, in some sense, is reflecting upon what God is doing through his, his spirit today in our world. He is indeed supporting and growing the church. He is that one in whom we have the presence of Christ and we can say that we are a fellowship of the saints. It is because of the presence of the spirit that we have the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Every time you go to your closet and you pray that the Lord will forgive you of your sins, God is with you in the presence of the Spirit. And one of the blessings of the new covenant is not only that you will receive the Holy Spirit, but the forgiveness of sins. Moreover, it is the Spirit that is at work in the world, which I'll have to say more in a few moments, who is the resurrection, who will raise all things from the grave and bestow upon us life everlasting. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are confessing that Jesus is present in our midst, that God is with us, and that he is at work in our world, and he will bring it to completion. Now think how important that is. Let's say, for instance, you are an atheist or you are an agnostic, or you're decidedly opposed to Christianity. What comfort do you have that God is with you? What comfort can you possibly have of someone who is with you is working all things out according to his own grand design and purpose? I would have to think that you lived in a world where you pretty much see things on your own and falling out by chance. Think for a moment what it would be like a world that you live in without the presence of the Spirit of God and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ.
when the Spirit fell upon them, he indeed is that one who would lead them all tr to all truth. For Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What then is the Spirit doing? He is creating for us the church and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has created for us a fellowship that we might engage and share in each other's life. You know, we are a special organization or communion on the face of the earth. We are the church, the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in one sense, we are the community of the Holy Spirit. Let me say something else as we go forth here. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus as teacher and as witness. Notice what the Holy Spirit has done here. Jesus says, he will testify of me. You know, one of the great assurances that I have as a minister of the gospel is this, that when I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in our midst to confront people with that gospel in a special way. I am confident that the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst convicts us and challenges us directly as to our faith and are we following uh, the way of the Lord. Think of an evangelist or a missionary who goes to a far country. They may go on an eleemosynary uh, mission, that is a mission of mercy. They may go there to teach or to administer medicine or to teach farming maybe to whatever uh, to dig wells that people might have good, safe, drinkable water, but they also proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes this is in cultures where they're entirely different than ours. But think, there's only one gospel to go into all the world. Christians confess that when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, there is the Spirit opening up hearts to truth. There is the Spirit empowering His Word that it might penetrate in the darkness. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our world. He witnesses and testifies to Jesus Christ. He makes Him known among the nations. And notice also in this text, in the 16th chapter, He says, He leads us into all truth. Now, if there's one verse in the Bible that I've... Uh, I've had people ask me questions about, it is this one. What does it mean for the Spirit to lead us into all truth? Well, the construction in Greek really says all truth. Does this mean then that uh, if I'm not very good at math, if I pray to the Holy Spirit, He will enable me to be a better math, math student? Or let's say, for instance, I'm not very good at some abstract subject like physics, and if I pray to the Lord, he'll give me understanding into the deep mysteries of the microcosmic world or the outer space, that he will give me understanding into all these things. Is that what, what this means? And we have to say no. This is relevant to the words of eternal life. When the Spirit comes, he will lead us into all truth pertaining what it means to know God, and to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and his saving ways. He will lead his people into all truth. You know, there's one thing about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It uh, lives in the world as an incarnated entity. And how frail we are at times. There's so much clay in our midst at times, isn't there? We, um, 
we meet people in the church and we have difficulty with them. We don't like them so much. We, they don't like us so much. We have differences of opinion and conflict. How in the world can the Holy Spirit lead in such a body of people? Well, remember that the Holy Spirit has promised not to solve all of our conflicts. One of the big problems on the mission field, I am told, are the personality uh, problems that missionaries have one with another. And when they get that solved, they're able to do some ministry and work on the mission field. But what is the Holy Spirit doing in our midst? We think in, through, and under all of this frailness and even sinfulness he is indeed working out his purposes through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to preach a sermon in a few weeks that I believe in the church. It does follow the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. There could be no church. There could be no truth. There could be no witness and ministry unless first the Holy Spirit had come upon us. And that is the one who leads us in all truth and in the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have one more uh, matter I want to raise here today. Uh, there is a wonderful passage that I have to resist where he comes as judge. The Holy Spirit is a judge. He convicts us of our sin and unrighteousness, and he judges even the prince of this world is judged. But there is one final note that I want to bring to your attention today about the Spirit. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we're not just simply talking about Pentecost. If you would, open up your scriptures to chapter 1 of Genesis. Chapter 1 of Genesis. And when you open up the Bible, it's an interesting opening to say the least for many and various reasons. There's not a, not quite an opening like this in all of earthly literature. And notice verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I want you to get this picture. Some of you know what a brood hen is. A brood hen is a hen that uh, is like an incubator. It, it uh, sets on the, on the eggs and they are hatched. The language in Hebrew is that the spirit, in some sense, is brooding over the darkness and the deep and bringing it into existence. From the beginning to the end of the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love and life. I want you to think about the consequences for that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life and love. He has worked in the creation. But through the church, a new creation is being formed. Unlike the old creation, a new creation is taking place. 
people's lives are being reformed, recreated to dwell and live in the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom of peace and righteousness. And the spirit of life is at work in our midst, not only in the old creation, but the new creation. This is Memorial Day tomorrow. We will remember some of our loved ones along with those that we honor who have served in the military. Memorial Day actually started as Decoration Day when some Southern women, even during the Civil War, would take flowers to the graves of their fallen ones and remember them. They would decorate their graves with flowers. New York State was the first state to actually adopt Memorial Day as a public holiday, and then it became a holiday throughout the country. When I was a kid, it was still known as Decoration Day mainly in the Mid-South and South, at least. But it's Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a reminder that many of our loved ones, many of the best and the brightest in this country, gave their life for this country. Heroic, heroic, to say the least. Many have served and gone on to their reward. I have that wonderful poem in Flanders Field. I want to read it and then comment for the conclusion today. Have you heard in Flanders Field? Some of you that are middle-aged or older have. But some of you young people may never have heard the poem in Flanders Field. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders' field. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep. Though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Noble sentiments. Noble There's only one thing that troubles me about that poem, and there is one thing that troubles me. I love it. I like poppies. I like remembering those who've gone on before. I will be down at the little cemetery tomorrow remembering, among others, Margaret Wallace. The problem here is I don't see any life at the end. I'm searching here for another verse. Is there something that ends better than just knowing that you continue the torch? Now, that's important. That you've taken up the cause. But I want hope for those who have perished. Whether in battle or they came home and died as an old soldier 
as MacArthur said, just fading away. Where is life? When we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe that this one, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his resurrection power, will raise the dead. This is not the last word. Patriotism even is not the last word. The last word is that one who is in our midst at work. He is life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And from the very beginning of the scriptures to the end, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit is in our midst, bringing out of this death and decay an eternal hope of life with our Father in heaven. My friend, that is why I believe in the Holy Ghost, and it is why you believe in that spirit who is at midst in our world. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen.